You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord Jesus, draw the reluctant heart, reassure the doubting heart, comfort the broken heart, calm the troubled heart, and soften the hard heart through the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My assignment this morning was to preach from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. But in my praying imagination, as I worked on this text, I pictured Dr. Luke in the congregation. And I think Luke would feel that you've got to use all the episodes in this message. Not just the Roman centurion, but you've got to use the raising of the widow's son and the inquiry of John the Baptist's disciples. And then you can't finish the sermon without talking about the woman who came to Jesus in Simon the Pharisee's home. So we're going to do the whole chapter If you have your Bibles, you might want to open to Luke 7 to track with me. Jesus has just finished speaking Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And that Sermon on the Mount finished with the picture of the person who builds on the rock and the person who builds on sand. Two kinds of people are hearing Jesus. One, recognizing who Jesus is and taking to heart his message, and others clueless as to who Jesus is. In the case of the Roman centurion, a Jewish delegation of elders came to Jesus on his behalf. And it's interesting their logic, what they are thinking that frames the request When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he believes in the nation and he's built our synagogue. Well, you couldn't have a clear rendition of religious conventional thinking than that. This is a good man who honors us and who has contributed to the building of our synagogue. Jesus accepts that, goes with them in order to deal with this gravely ill servant of the Roman centurion. By the way, in each one of these episodes, the human condition rises to the, to the surface. Disease, death, doubt, and despair. It covers the human condition, Luke does, in all of these situations In this case, it's disease that's almost taken the life of this servant. Well, Jesus goes with them, but before they can get to the Roman centurion's home, the Roman centurion sends another delegation, his servants this time, and says, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. So you have, this man really deserves what you're going to do for him, And the Roman centurion saying, I don't deserve even for you to come into my house. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. 
That's why I sent the Jewish elders. Just say the word. I'm a man under under authority. I know what it is to, to speak a command and to have it followed. And Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. He's surprised by the Roman centurion's faith. Well, as they leave, and the gravely ill servant is healed, uh, Luke just throws that in as a bit at the end. So we kind of get the idea that this isn't about the miracle, although in every respect, the people of God have accepted the power of the supernatural miracle of God. The God who spoke creation into existence is now speaking healing into existence. They leave that scene, Luke guides us, and Jesus is in the company of a large crowd, and they come into the village of Nain, and another large crowd, a funeral procession, is leaving the city to bury the only son of a widow. Two large crowds, Jesus is in the middle. There's nothing here that speaks of human self-sufficiency. Everything speaks of great need. And Jesus goes up and he touches the frame on which the body is held and he says, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up, began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And the people are amazed. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. It's going to be the author of Hebrews that spells this out, what is actually taking place here. When he writes in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he has made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. But there's a great deal of confusion that surrounds the recognition of Jesus. John's disciples are in the crowd. They report back to John. And John sends two of his disciples to Jesus to inquire. Are you the one? Are you the one we've been waiting for? And Jesus did not take offense at the question. He deals with the doubt. He deals with the confusion. And Jesus says, in effect, well, look around. The lepers are cleansed. The blind are seen. The diseased are healed. The dead are raised. The deaf hear. And good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he says a remarkable statement. Blessed is he who doesn't stumble because of me. I mean, I think of the humility of God incarnate. But then isn't that the issue here? The very big truth that the Christian faith confesses. A virginal conception, an incarnation of God, an atoning sacrificial death, a bodily resurrection. Those are not easy truths. And the very buffered secular self that's insulated oneself from the invisible realities 
of a God-ordained, God-created, God-saved world, ah, that's a lot to accept. Harry Blumeyer is in a little book, The Christian Mind, which uh, I was told by somebody after the service that he just died a, a year or so ago at the age of 101. A real good friend of C.S. Lewis. Blumeyer writes, The Christian mind has an overriding sense that the truth it clings to is supernaturally grounded. It's revealed. It's not man-made. It's imposed. It's not just chosen. It's authoritative. It's objective. It's irresistible. He goes on to say, we know that in a sense Christianity leaves us with an awful lot to swallow. No Christian, thinking Christianly, divesting himself of the very easy self-deceptions of secularist thinking, will pretend that Christianity is an easy truth. It isn't. It's not easy to accept. It's not easy to explore. It's not easy to rest in. It's not easy to explain. And Blumeyer says, you find it difficult? So do I. You find it a nuisance? Sometimes, so do I. But you know, it's the truth. John, Jesus then says, well, when you went out to hear John in the wilderness, what did you expect? Did you expect a guy in fine clothes, eating fine food? He's a prophet. I sent my messenger ahead of you, John's message is, to prepare the way for you. The purpose of John the Baptist's ministry was to penetrate the buffered self, to cut through the layers of cultural habits and defenses and distractions. And then he tells a mini parable. To what can I compare these people, Jesus says? What are they like? Well, they're like children, spoiled children, sitting in the marketplace. We played the pipe for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge for you, and you didn't cry. You show up at the wedding, and you don't dance. You show up at a funeral, and you don't cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he's a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard. The weird guy in the wilderness is written off. And Jesus, who befriends the sinner, has table fellowship with the lost, who reaches out to the down and out, he's dismissed. The request from the Roman centurion, the inquiry of John's disciples, all with the idea of recognizing who Jesus is. And our final episode, Luke pictures a dinner hosted by Simon, the Pharisee, who's invited Jesus, and in comes a woman, uninvited, who cannot stop weeping in the presence of Jesus because of the sense of grace and acceptance and peace. She breaks her alabaster jar of perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet. She's crying so much, she's actually watering Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And everybody knows what Simon's thinking. There is a, 
We don't really need Jesus' great insight to understand that Simon was being very critical and saying to himself, he doesn't get who this woman is. If he was a prophet, he certainly would. And Jesus asked him a question. Simon, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owe some money, 50 pieces of silver, one man does, and 500 pieces of silver, another and the banker quits, uh, quits both debts. Who do you think is most grateful? And Simon says, I think he probably sees he's being set up. Simon says, well, I think probably the one that owed him more. And he turns toward the woman, but speaks to Simon. Do you see this woman? Well, who do you, who could not see this woman? And he says, I came to your house and you didn't give me water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been Forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. I can't help but feel that there is a progression in this series of episodes in the mind of Luke from disease to death to doubt to despair, from healing, from raising from the dead, from a confession of faith, to finally, your sins are forgiven. In Luke's mind, this is the ultimate, the forgiveness of sins, the guilt removed, a sinful life now transformed by the great and powerful love of God. This is a lot to believe. And may no Christian make it seem as if it's easy to believe. But it's the truth. It's the revelation of God. So the question is, where do we find ourselves in this chapter? Conventional religious thinking, I deserves you to help, or I don't deserve this at all, the Roman centurion. Just say the word. Are we like John the Baptist's disciples, kind of filled with doubt and confusion? But Jesus then speaks evidence into that inquiry. And then finally, the test between Simon and this woman. And this woman being able to leave and go away in peace. I hope this morning that we can go away in the shalom of God, the peace of God, justified freely by his grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.